Are you concerned about how a divorce will affect your children? Divorce with children can feel scary. Today's episode, you'll learn the critical messages that need to be part of the conversation, understand how children commonly respond, and how you can provide loving support at each stage. Prepare to negotiate your parenting agreement and establish a strong parenting relationship through divorce and beyond. And learn how to manage the sadness, guilt, and anxiety of seeing your child in distress so you can strike a balance between your child's needs and your own. This is Sharon Pastore, and you're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Let's move forward. You're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Join us as we help you navigate your divorce without going broke, relationships in ruin, or ending up in court. You'll get into financial and emotional shape, make sense of the legal process, get strong enough to negotiate for yourself, be a mindful parent, stay amicable with your spouse so you can get a fresh start. Please welcome your host for this episode, Adina Laver, founder of Courage to be Curious and formerly Divorce Essentials. In terms of our focus of the call today, as we said, it is about putting the kids first, and we really wanted to have this call travel the trajectory of deciding and thinking about is the divorce the right decision, and one of the concerns people often have is when I have kids, is this the right thing, what's the right timing, and things like that, all the way through to when a divorce maybe is finalized, and you're now navigating in having a different parenting relationship with your kids and a relationship with your um, ex-spouse around parenting the kids. So we want to travel that whole trajectory with you today, regardless of which stage you're at, so that um, you get some value and you can see the big picture. And I'm really excited to have two guests on with us today. And we have with us Sandy Schur who is a number of many wonderful things, but she is today with us on as the mediator, the parenting mediator with the Mainline Family Law Center. And she works to create parenting plans with the families as they're going through mediation. And we're going to talk about what is that parenting plan part of a divorce negotiation like, what's it, what it includes, and how does that process work, whether there's a good conversation going on between partners or a difficult conversation between partners going on. And we have Stephanie Newberg with us, who's a licensed psychotherapist, and she works with individuals, couples, and families. And she's been practicing for 15 years, and she really also has a specialty area in working with parents who are navigating this relationship post-divorce. So we're going to use different language to talk about that today, but co-parenting counseling is something that she really specializes in, and we're very glad to have both of you here today. So, Sandy, you want to just say a little hello? Yes, a little hello to everyone. Thank you, Adina. Does the little hello extend to a bigger introduction? Absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, By way of introduction, I would like to just say that I appreciate everyone joining the call because it tells me that you have your emphasis on the right syllable. You're concerned about your most valuable marital asset, and that is your children. And the focus of the mediation, which I facilitate for couples, um, and the focus of Stephanie's counseling is just exactly that. It's child-centered. It's about putting the children first and the parents second. 
and realizing that now that the problem of your marriage is resolved by virtue of the fact that you are no longer married, you can work together, albeit in separate homes, to support the best interests of your children, which typically um, brings you more in common um, than disparate views. So it, it helps you bring out the best in each other because you agree on a lot of things about your children. Great. Thank okay. you. And Stephanie, I'd like to welcome you. You want to say a little hello and anything you would like to add to your introduction? Sure. I just want to also reiterate that I'm really pleased and happy to be on this call as well. It is always very satisfying and makes Sandy and I both feel really good to know that people are so focused on something that has been such a passion of our work and something that we'll definitely be spending a lot of time talking about today in terms of how to focus on the well-being of your children in the midst of very difficult and very you know life-changing decisions and family configurations. And that will be hopefully walking you through and giving you a lot of strategies and thoughts about how to best handle your children and your family life during this very, you know, huge change of time in your life. And that one that can bring a lot of disparate and difficult emotions. So we're just both really happy to be here and to be able to talk to you about something that's very near and dear to our hearts. Great. Thank you so much. And so I'm going to just dive right in here because we've got so many topics here and I want to get to all of them and really frame them in addressing the concerns that people have. I want to start this journey with often the first thing is is um, making the decision. And one of the biggest things that parents grapple with and even deciding to get to pursue divorce or think about divorce is how is this going to impact my kids? And um, will it ruin their lives? Will it make them unhappy? And there's a lot of nuances to this. But let's just start with the big question of, you know, how divorce impacts kids, this, this decision to divorce. Um, what are ways that parents, let me ask it this way, what are ways parents can think about this decision, whether or not to divorce and how it will impact the kids? So Sandy, let me invite you to give a few thoughts on that. Okay. The simple answer is parents should divorce when they know that their marriage is over. That sounds simplistic, but it's also very important because children are incredibly sensitive, they are very intuitive, and they know when things are amiss in the home. Parents are often very good actors and actresses. Um, they go out of their way not to argue, not to refute each other, not to be, you know, cranky um, toward each other in front of the kids. But the truth of the matter is, with all of that effort, children still pick up on the vibes that something is amiss. And one of my greatest concerns stems from the realization that children have very active imaginations, and anything that they worry about that you don't explain, they're going to come up with their own answer for. And typically their answers are much scarier than the truth. So going back to my first simple statement, when you know your marriage is over, that's when you need to consider getting a divorce. The way you tell the children, what you tell the children, and when you tell the children are the issues that you want to address either with someone like Stephanie in a psychothera uh, psychotherapeutic setting or with a counselor from your children's school or any confidant that you feel can help you identify for your children specifically the answers to those questions. And then when you have that in mind, 
when you come to a mediation session because you know you're separating, you know that you have to tell the children or that you already have, then in the mediation session we make the plan that provides the structure and the sense of security that both you and your children need to be able to anticipate the future. Because the scariest thing for all of you is not knowing what's coming. So I think that's probably my answer for now, Adina. Mm-hmm. Thanks. And Stephanie, I'm going to ask you to add, but I'm also going to ask you when you contribute here, can you address the issue of timing? I know that one of the biggest questions I get is, well, should I wait until the end of the school year? Should I wait until they've graduated middle school? Should I wait until they've graduated high school? Should I wait until they've graduated college? What if the birthday's coming up? So there's a lot of these questions around timing and things like that of making a decision. So give us some thoughts about, you know, when to, how, to factor kids into the decision that you might make and this whole question of timing that people grapple with? Sure. And I think that the question is really, really well thought out, and I think it's very important. And as you said, I think many, many people grapple and struggle with that question. And I think the way to really think about it is, in addition to what Sandy's sharing about when you know in your heart that the marriage is absolutely over and that's when the timing is going to come that you're going to start to share, then I think you have to look at the context a little bit in terms of trying to minimize life disruptions for a child or children. And so the way we try to conceptualize that is around, we try, we would want to encourage you to talk to kids around times when there's not so much change occurring at the same time. So for instance, to wait until the very end of a school year as opposed to waiting until a couple of weeks before the end of the school year because we know that the end of the school year brings up all kinds of emotions about endings and loss and change. And so you don't want to compound adding something like this to the end of the school year. So a better thought is to wait till the school year is over when at least the stressors and the endings of that have come to a conclusion that if there's a lot of tests or grades that are coming up or things that are just stressful at the end of something, that you wait till that's over. So one of the recommendations I make is to wait, especially if you're waiting around this time of year to make the decision, is that you would wait till about this week or the next week after school is finally concluded to bring something like that up. It also gives the space and time and the emotional energy for everyone to have to be able to take somewhat of a deep breath and just to focus on the next issue as opposed to getting a lot of different issues mixed up together. Another question that can come up around this time of year is if children are going away to sleepaway camp or to overnight camp where they'll be leaving home. And what I recommend for that is is that you don't do it right before children leave because there's usually some stress and separation anxiety connected to leaving home for camp, even if everyone's excited and loves it and has had a wonderful and positive experience. It's, there's anxiety about leaving, and then there's sometimes it can then lead children to really focus on the issue while they're at camp and not enjoy themselves. So if you do have a children who's leaving for camp pretty immediately after school ends, then I suggest that you wait till they get back before school starts again, but after they get back from camp. If they're not going to camp, this can be a good time of year to do it. There's always, though, going to be birthdays and celebrations and things that are going to come up, and most people will say there's never a good time in that sense. So you are going to have to navigate and figure out you know, around sort of various parameters and issues when it really makes sense. But just in terms of the current situation we're in and the timing of the year we're in, that's what I would recommend for now. 
Great. Thanks, Stephanie. And I'm so glad you brought up that last part of is there ever a perfect time? There's like no date on the calendar that Hallmark has yet identified that says this is the perfect day, right, to talk to your kids about divorce. So, you know, it is a matter of kids are pretty resilient and managed with a lot of mindfulness and thoughtfulness and care that, you know, you can navigate around things. And, you know, there's always going to be a holiday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, whatever it is that's going to come and a birthday. And trusting and knowing that you can thoughtfully plan and navigate um, will enable you to be able to move forward and certainly reaching out for support. Well, let's go on to now, you know, once a decision is made, there's then the question about talking with kids. And we've had some other longer calls where we've talked a little bit about this. But in terms of the right way to talk to kids about the situation and what it is kids most need to hear, we're going to keep this pretty brief. But, um, Stephanie, what are some of the key things that we want to impart to kids when we do have a conversation with them? Well, the first thing that we want to impart is that there's two people, if possible, and is the most ideal, that both parents can be present when this conversation occurs. It's really important that the kids hear from both parents at the same time, again, if possible, that this is a decision that's been mutually and jointly made. That starts the whole process by having the kids see that both parents are are on board with this, are both engaged with this, both agree with it, and that one parent isn't the one who is to blame or is the one who started this or is the only one who wants it or that one parent is the more, you know, victimized member of the group or who isn't on board or feels the most hurt or most betrayed. It's really important that the kids see that to begin with. The other things that are really important is that there's space and ability and time for kids to express how they feel. And it might not happen that very moment that it's being spoken to them about, but that they are given the impression that regardless of how they feel at this moment or the next or in the next month, that there's space and openness to hearing their ongoing feelings and process about that. That's the second thing that's really important. The third is is that there's some details given, but that there's very broad range decisions and an outline given to them about what the reasons are. They need to hear that there's, you know, some specific things maybe that have occurred that have led to this, but the general gist that they need to hear is that we don't love each other the way we need to to stay married, but we are very committed to you as our children and our family and that we're going to do all we can to continue to make your lives as easy and as um, positive as we can going forward and that we're both committed to your happiness and to your well-being as children and we want that to continue as best as we can and that there will be changes and things won't be the way they were but we will be very focused on how to best parent you together and I mean separately but in the same ways that we have done in the past yeah I think I Andy would you like thing. yeah <laughs> thanks Adina the other thing that you want to be very clear about is that the children didn't cause this, and they can't change it. This is an adult decision reached between the parents, and the decision was not made and cannot be changed by the children. They need that relief. They need to understand that they don't figure into this at all and that they will continue to be cared for. As Stephanie said, kids still need two parents after the divorce, and they will continue to be cared for by both parents and that they'll have their needs met. That's what kids need to hear. And you as parents will be accepting different roles after the divorce. So instead of doing some of what the children needed when you lived together as a couple, each of you now will be providing in each of your own ways 
all of what the children need when they're with you. And so by telling the kids that it's going to be different because you're going to live in different homes, but you're still a family and the children will still have their needs met is really what they need to hear. Um, Just one more addition to what Stephanie said, and that is obviously depending upon the age of the child, you will include or omit certain information. But a really good sort of rule of thumb is to simply let them know that the marriage may be, the relationship has been complete, that the relationship began with the intention of lasting for a lifetime, but what you had together was completed before that time passed. And that way you present a neutral view. And if the children are older, they're going to ask for more specific information. But if they're not, really all they need to hear is that they're going to be cared for and you respect one another. And, Sandy, I really like this last piece that you shared, which feels important because particularly, and I know we have some callers who have older children in, maybe college age or, you know, beyond, um, but this question of, well, if you're getting divorced now, what was true about my younger life? What wasn't true about my younger life? And beginning to question things. And so, you know, not the message of we've never haven't loved each other for a long time and it's finally time to do this as much as this, you know, this relationship has sort of come to a completion and now we're, you know, moving into this next phase and we're both going to bring new things to life and new things to, you know, the way we're going to navigate helps to dispel that sense of, well, wait a second, was my childhood not real or genuine? And so I think that's that's an important piece. Yeah, that's exactly right. And talking to older children about how they have changed and evolved throughout their lives. They're not the same people at 16 or 23 or, you know, 47 that they were when they were in elementary school or high school. So their needs, their perspectives, their worldview change as they grow and evolve. And similarly, so does their parents' um, views of the world. So when you present it in a way that simply says this is, has been a progression, we started at one place with one set of expectations and we simply grew differently, that's something that older children can understand because they've experienced it themselves with boyfriends or girlfriends, uh, relationships that began and ended, um, friends, just you know, um, platonic friends that no longer meet their needs. Their interests have changed. They've gone separate ways. So it's really much easier to talk to older children in a way that doesn't make them feel that they lived a lie, that their life was a sham, that you betrayed them, but to bring to roost what they know about their own growing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The other thing I want to add here, too, is that the parental attitude coming to the table really matters in the sense that whether we come to the table expecting our kids to be able to navigate, expecting them to have reactions, you know, to whatever that reaction might bring, but to be able to navigate through change and our confidence in their ability to navigate through change really carries a lot, you know, and it's very different than when we come with nervousness about everything, but, oh, my gosh, what if their pickup schedule, their carpool schedule will be different, if their bed covers are not the same, you know, if we have anxiety about the change, that will project. If we really come to the conversation with an attitude of confidence in our kids' ability to navigate and, you know, communicating that they will get what they need in order to be supported in navigating, it makes a huge difference because, as you said, Sandy, in the beginning, they're very perceptive and they pick up on our energy. Stephanie, did you want to say something about that? 
Yes, and also that I think it also is so incredibly pertinent to you also having faith, even if you don't always feel it because of what you've gone through in your relationship with the person that you're separating and divorcing from, if you can emanate that you have faith and respect in their ability to be parents separately from you and that even though you didn't experience what you needed to in that relationship, that you have faith that they can be the kind of parent to your children that your children need. Exactly right. Exactly. So we're going to move into this next topic, but I'm going to put a little bit of a challenge in front of both of you here because I know that this is the reality for a lot of people who are on this call. Is that we're going to, you know, we've been talking a lot about what it means, and I'm going to introduce the language here to have a child-centered divorce and really are putting the kids first, and we've been talking a lot about that. And so as we talk about that child-centered divorce, but we do have people on the call and we do have people who are navigating this process that maybe do feel skeptical about their partner's ability to parent either because of mental illness or addiction or anger management issues. And we also have people on the call who, um, you know, maybe one parent hasn't really stepped up or they've not been honoring this child-centeredness. So what if I'm a child-centered, I'm really focusing on coming to this in a child-centered way, but my partner isn't. So I want to invite you both, and I'm going to start with you, Sandy, to talk about what child-centered means, but also what does it mean to be child-centered in the face of these kinds of challenges that I might have? Okay. That, that, that's I told you I was going to challenge you here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it's a great question, and it's very real. And I think a good way to start is, really to, to look at the word mediation and what does it mean to mediate and how, how do you work with a spouse for whom you have lost respect or for whom you feel intense anger or disappointment or betrayal? You know, how do you then parlay those emotions into a statement that I have faith in this person to raise you as a good parent? Um, and I think the answer to that is thinking about what you used to respect about that person, what caused you to love that person in the first place, and things about that person that you still see when he or she parents your children. Um, and, and treat that person with dignity so that that person treats you back with dignity. And I think that is really the crux of it, Adina, is, is keep, keep your focus on each other's dignity. Don't violate that because in a marriage, probably both of you have been guilty at one time or another of having been violated by the other person. And so although you're nursing your hurts and your injuries, if you really think about the occasions on which you have offended the other, then it kind of brings you back to center and you realize, hey, we're both just people. We make mistakes. We didn't intend to hurt one another. And certainly let's not put our kids in the middle of this. So you look at your relationship differently. You respect each other's dignity and you move forward with that sort of powerful healing tool. Um, and then child-focused means, first of all, you have to take care of yourself. So if there is a mental health or substance abuse issue, that has to be handled. And it has to be separate and apart from parenting plans and separate and apart from any agreement about, you know, who's going to take care of the children. Because until the health of the other parent is stable, 
then the, the children need to be parented by the person who already is stable and healthy. Um, similarly, you have to discuss issues with the other parent as they arise. You can't let differences between you just simmer under the surface. If conflicts persist, then you're going to remain at an impasse. So you can solve any problem as long as you identify it. But until you do, it's not going to go away because you're not addressing it head on. And I guess the last thing I want to say is that remember that when you're communicating with the other, with the ex-spouse, be really mindful that you're talking to your child's parent and that your child's parent is the person with whom you now have a relationship. This is no longer your spouse. It is your child's other parent. So you want to effectively communicate with that person on behalf of your child. That keeps it child-centered. You listen. You tolerate. You, you're honest. You know, you have empathy. You have respect. And if you can communicate with your child's parent in that way, then you're going to be child-centered because all of the rest of the fallout of your relationship is being uh, shunted to the side. And before I go to Stephanie, I just want to say one thing that I've heard you talk about before, well, both Stephanie and you, Sandy, talk about is in terms of that game of chicken. Well, I'll respect them if they respect me or I'll show them dignity if they show me dignity and the willingness to be first. Right, the willingness to step up and yeah. say, I'm going to do that first because if, if that's what it means to be child-focused, that it's not about my relationship with this other person. It's about that's what's best for my kids. Right, that's right. It, Absolutely. It's, really, it's, yeah. it's learning by doing. It's modeling the behavior. If this is what you believe and the other parent doesn't believe it yet, then demonstrate how it works. Then subordinate your need to be right and just do it mm-hmm. before you get the recognition or the acknowledgement that, oh, yeah, you're right. And I have seen, yeah, sorry, I have seen so many times that absolutely work, even though right now you might be feeling like this is an impossible feat or journey or this is something that would never happen because I've gone down this road so many times with my partner and it's been so incredibly difficult and dysfunctional and distressing. I have seen when one person makes the choice to change course and to treat the other with dignity, integrity, with empathy, not only does it shift the dynamic in a way that you might not believe at the moment, but also it models for your kids one of the greatest lessons that they can take away from a divorce, which is even though my parents can't, the relationship has come to completion, they can't be married the way they were, they still care and treat each other in a way that then helps me be treated in a certain way, that I internalize this as a future model for intimate relationships, that I know how to treat people and deal with things going forward, and that I am very loved and very valued in this. Because kids wind up feeling so incredibly undervalued and so, um, you know, disregarded when parents continue to have conflict and to continue to fight and make things so difficult and distressing for them over and over again in every situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just want to add into that, um, and then I want to move on to the other next topic we have because I'm watching the clock tick away, but that everything is more intense during this period. So there's been a lot of perhaps, you know, fighting, arguing, or just not being happy and comfortable at the time that comes to the negotiations and really thinking about the parenting plan. And what we instinctively do is we imagine that 
whatever, however we've seen our partner be with the children up until this point is how they're going to be afterwards. So if our partner is not taking care of, you know, picking up the medicines or making sure lunch is packed or whatever those kinds of things might be, they haven't done this before, doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to do it after, that the Mm -hmm. dynamic of the relationship has been driving a lot of the way that each of you has been showing up as a parent and that everything does transform over time. I recently put something in my Father's Day blog about the question of a male or the father's parental um, natural instincts and that the research that has come out showing that parenting as an instinct, parental behaviors, the instinct exists equally within men and women and what um, activates it is the experience of parenting. So the more we do it, the more we get better at it, and the more we have an instinct to do it. So if those things, some of those things tend to balance themselves out, and we may see our partner suddenly showing up in a way as a parent that they never did during a marriage afterwards. And so there's a little bit of trusting that the parental right. instinct mm-hmm. is there. Can I just Absolutely. add one more thing before you change the subject? Sure, I could tell Sandy you needed a final word, and then I want to move on. Go ahead. <laughs> and I think this goes for, you know, both parents, and that is just have faith in your ability as a parent. You're not going to be perfect, but you're not a perfect parent in an intact marriage either. So have faith in your ability. Let yourself make mistakes because you teach your children that way, that you can make a mistake, learn from it, move forward, and, and you know, do better the next time. And just understand that the obstacles are going to change into just manageable challenges. So if you have faith in your ability, if you know your children and you keep letting them rise to their level of competence, you and they will both be fine. Because a single incident, something you may do wrong, a mistake you might make, is not going to traumatize a child. You know, it's it's your overall relationship that makes the difference. So minimize individual mistakes. Don't be paralyzed with fear about doing one thing wrong. It just doesn't matter. Okay. You're on, Adina. Yeah, and Adina, I just Go ahead, Stephanie. If you would be, sorry, it might also be helpful that in um, your divorce companion, I don't know if people are aware of it or how much they know about it, but Adina has put together a wonderful book called The Divorce Companion, and in it, she has something called the Child-Centered Divorce Pledge. And that is a wonderful sort of opportunity to together look at the different tips and the different values that are put together that you can sign and look at together as two co-parents that can really help you get on the same page and gives you some real guidance and direction around the ways that you can really be focused on not putting your children in the middle and really working together through this process in a really healthy and holistic way. Thanks, Stephanie, and I will definitely mention more about that in the entire section that's in there on kids. Um, So let's go through this, and then we'll come back to it, but I appreciate you bringing that in here. And so, Sandy, right now, and I'm only going to give you about like four minutes for this, but you're going to talk about the parenting plan. So in every divorce, you know, again, whether you're going to talk about mediation, but whether this is a mediated divorce or otherwise, there's always a parenting plan. So in your experience, you know, what is this? You know, when they do the parenting mediation part and they come together to create a parenting plan, what is this parenting plan? And you talked a little bit about how couples navigate through it, but what are some strategies that um, maybe people can be thinking about as they're planning or heading into that process of creating one? 
the parenting plan is simply an agreement between parents about how they want to continue raising their children. Um, what are your goals for parenting after separation for your children? And they are as broad as the two legal definitions of are we going to share legal custody and, if so, how are we going to arrange physical custody? Those are the first two issues that parents need to resolve in the creation of a parenting plan. Legal custody is about, in the eyes of the law, who is the guardian of this child? Who is responsible for this child's health and welfare? And typically parents agree that they are going to share that responsibility. And incumbent upon them with that shared responsibility is ongoing communication. So when you agree that you're going to be legal custodians of your children in equal manner, you can only do that if you talk to each other about what's happening in your child's life. So you are taking on the responsibility right from the beginning of keeping each other informed of significant events, be they emotional or active in your children's lives. The second question then is, where are the children going to live? And that's what the physical custody calendar is. And there are a lot of myths about what physical custody means. And one of the things I like to dispel immediately is that physical custody is really accountability. Where is the child or children sleeping tonight? Who is responsible for getting them to school in the morning? Who is responsible for feeding them dinner? That's what the physical custody agreement reflects. It bears no value. It bears no definition of who's the primary parent, who's the more valuable parent, who has the most say, none of that. It is simply what works to support our children's needs on a daily basis. And every single custody calendar is different because both the circumstances and the dynamics of every couple are different. So when you create your own plan, you are creating a custody schedule that actually suits your family's constellation of needs and circumstances. So it's, it's entirely individualized. And the beauty of creating a parenting plan is that no one is telling you what to do, when to do it, and how. You are creating the plan with your children's interests in mind, your specific children, not children in general. So that's the first and biggest part of creating a parenting plan, Adina. And from there, we work on special arrangements, holidays, um, how do we make decisions going forward about the events that do affect our children's lives. That's when someone like Stephanie um, would help with co-parenting in case there's conflict that needs to be resolved going forward about issues you may not agree on. Um, you want to empower each parent to be a separate and independent parent. So they're not always looking over their shoulder to see the grimace or, or, you know, the disapproval on the other parent's face for something you've said or done. In that sense, you are parenting separately, and the plan will tell you exactly how you envision that. The co-parenting piece comes as you're implementing this plan, what if what you laid out with all of your best intentions doesn't work because your strategies are different? In fact, you're not able to implement what you idealized. So how do we then co-parent? And that's when it's important 
to be respectful of that onus because you are parenting together legally to communicate, to talk right, about what's that's hard. A great, yep. That's a great summary. I'm going to cut you there because I would like to go over to Stephanie and invite you to talk about the co-parenting piece. And as Sandy said, is once we have this plan in place, that's all on paper, but then we actually have to live it. And there's a lot of dynamics that have likely been going on between parents before they created this and that are going to continue. And there may even have been a lot of contention. And, you know, I'm going to ask you, we've been talking about a lot about sort of mediation, but you, Stephanie, also work with couples who did not mediate, who litigated, who maybe had very difficult divorces and got told they had to come to co-parenting counseling to try to figure out how to do this because the state does care about the welfare of the kids. So, you know, tell us a little bit about what this is and how it works and recognizing here we really probably have about five to six minutes at most. So kind of give us the okay. best that you've got right here. Sure, sure. Okay, so um, I think what I'll do is I will use an example to exemplify the way that this works. So I had a case that I worked with um, where I was referred to them by their lawyers. They were court-mandated by the judge. They'd been in litigation for seven years. The husband had a history of mental illness, and the wife had a history of um, some mental illness as well. The husband definitely had a more significant um, history of it. And they had not gotten anywhere in seven years. She had been extremely distrustful and very, very upset aspect aspect of him having even joint custody with the children. She really thought it was to the children's detriment to have any kind of visitation or any kind of relationship with him. But in many ways, he had some, he had many, many strains, cared deeply about the kids. And for a long time, though, had just sort of fought her through all this litigation and hadn't really stepped up to try to be a good co-parent or another parent in the situation. But when they came to me, they both knew that there was a lot at stake, that through this process, there would be a decision made at the end whether or not he would get joint custody. And what he did share with me very early on is that he decided to make a shift, a shift that I referred to earlier on in the phone call, that he was going to start to be nicer. He was going to start to treat her with more dignity. He was going to try to start to listen. And one of the things that I do in the process of co-parenting is that I make it very clear and I emphasize throughout the process, that this is not to rehash any of your relational dynamics. It's not to go over any of the marital um, emotions, the, the marital issues that went on between the two of you. This has nothing to do with your current relationship. This is all about how you're going to go forward and be the best parents you can be separately through this process. And so I have a very um, structured format that I use. It's a model that was based on a book that was called, that's called The Co-Parenting Survival Guide by Dr. Zimmerman and Thayer. They actually come from Cambridge, Massachusetts, out of, the Harvard, out of Harvard. And they created a model that gives parameters and almost like a business-like, um, I mean, a, a business-like meeting to how you handle this. And basically, I help the clients in the session to go through various topics, starting with good things. So each person will share good things that have happened with the kids in their care when they weren't with the other parent. And it starts to help people open up, get focused on the well-being of their kids, hear the positive things, help them understand that they share things that they really both love, that they both care about. It helps to build goodwill and some trust, and it helps them remind themselves that they have assets and things together that are so invaluable and so 
you know, important and precious to both of them. And then they go through and they talk about the various different things that they've dealt with over the week with the children, everything from medical issues to school issues to behavioral issues to social issues to disciplinary issues to just all different aspects of how the child's doing. And it helps them get on the same page, build communication, feel heard, feel validated, have somebody who is there to keep it safe and to keep it on track and to help them mediate anything that might come up that they don't agree on. And over time, the process does build goodwill and a feeling of they can do this and that they both care and that they both are focused on the same thing, and they start to see the results and the positive aspects of what happens. But in this case, they really started to do well. They started to learn how to talk outside of session together. They started to learn how to not have so much conflict. They started to learn to respect each other's differences. And they started to really back each other up outside of session when their kids would try to split them or try to manipulate the situation. And um, they both feel that it was really invaluable and have given me feedback that things have really gone well for them. And now this is about three years later. I occasionally see them just as a checkup or just if a situation emerges that they can't work out together, but that that process was really helpful, and I've seen it help a lot of other couples. So I think That's the amazing thing about that that I really want to underscore for people who are listening is this is after a couple had been battling in court for seven years. So I know that I'll get people on the phone, you know, who think that never, like we'll never be able to do it for this reason, that reason, the other reason. And, you know, and in this particular case, they didn't choose to come to you. They were mandated. They'd been battling for seven years. And so, you know, this line that I love to use all the time of everything transforms in time and nothing is going to stay the same, especially if we decide to make a change in something that change is always possible. And um, especially in this parenting piece that we're going to continue to grow, our kids are going to continue to grow, and everything is possible when we approach it with that kind of mindset and approach it with the willingness to step forward first, as both of you have talked about, and start that process of being healthy and child-focused and centered in what we're doing. So I want to use the final few minutes that we have here to share a few resources. So I'm going to share one. I'm going to invite Stephanie, you to share if you have any resources you'd like to share with people and let people know how they can reach you and get in touch with you. And same thing, Sandy, any resources or final closing thoughts you'd like to share. Um, I'm going to start off here. And again, Adina Laver, and I'm divorce and relationship coach. I'm an affiliate partner with the Mainline Law Center, but I work with people all around the country and helping to find a healthier path through this transition. And Stephanie mentioned earlier this program called the Divorce Companion, which is really a multimedia program with videos, audio, and an interactive guidebook that helps to navigate each stage of divorce. Um, We focus today on the children, and one of the sections in here is an entire section on navigating this process with your children. Stephanie was a part of the creation of this as well, and everything from the child-centered pledge that Stephanie mentioned to how do we talk to the kids about divorce, tips, a planning guide, navigating their reactions, getting them support through this, thinking about the parenting plan that's going to be coming. So this is a big component in addition to, you know, a number of other sections in there and a program that's really designed to help people mindfully, thoughtfully, and intentionally navigate through this process in a healthy way. So if any, if you're interested in learning more about that, there, you can go to divorcecompanion.com. You can read about it. You can see the table of contents. You can email me with questions. You can watch a video, all those kinds of things in there. So I'd like to leave people with that. 
And I would also encourage people, if you're interested, to sign up for the newsletter that's on my site at divorceessentials.net. Every week I post, and I really put out postings that just really help to keep this process of how do we do this in a healthy way, healthy for ourselves, healthy for our families, healthy for our future, at front and center and give some strategies around that. So I'd like to leave you with that. And Stephanie, any resources and final thoughts you'd like to share as well as how people can reach you? Sure. Well, I want to start by saying that I have my own website. I'm also a partner of the Mainline Family Law Center, and my information is on their website as, an, as a partner of theirs. But I also have my own website, which is just my name, Stephanie Newberg, N-E-W-B-E-R-G.com, with all of the information you need to get in touch with me. And I'm happy to just answer questions or answer an email if that's all you have at this point. If you'd like to set up an appointment to meet with me, I'm also happy to have that happen as well. I also wanted to point out a book that I brought up um, that I think has been extremely helpful for my clients, has served as a model for the work I've done and also for the work that my clients have done, which is what I had referenced earlier, which is called the Co-Parenting Survival Guide. It's um, accessible by Amazon, and it's by Dr. Thayer and Dr. Zimmerman. And I think it gives great strategies and just a great context and overall background on how to do this in a way when you're in a high conflict, very, very difficult situation with parents who are uncooperative where there's just been a history of just very difficult interactions between parents and a lot of struggles that you might have with addiction or mental illness or uncooperative parents. Great. Thank you, Stephanie. And Sandy, any sort of final thoughts or resources you'd like to share with us? Well, a final thought is a quote that, um, like you, Adina, is a favorite, a favorite of mine, that growth is painful and change is painful, but nothing is as painful as staying stuck somewhere you don't belong. Mm-hmm. And I read that quote all the time, and I just appreciate the truth of it. So don't let anticipated pain prevent you from getting unstuck. The reference that I'd like to share um, is a book called Parenting Apart, and the author is Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, McGee, M-C, capital G-H-E-E. It's also available on Amazon. And it's really a handbook. It's not sit down, open page one, and read till the end. But it's just filled with practical and effective ways to strengthen the bond between you and your children to provide guidance as you need it. It's a wonderful reference. And she's very down-to-earth, very logical, gives lots of great anecdotes for talking to children um, of all ages and also for how to take care of yourselves as a parent, which is critical. Because when mama's not happy, nobody's happy. And that goes for the dads, too. Um, and my name is Sandy Schur, S-H-E-R-R. I am the parenting mediator with Mainline Family Law Center and uh, can be reached through their website. Uh, my phone number and my email address are also on that website, so you can find me easily. And by way of closing... I, again, want to just appreciate the fact that all of you have taken the time to listen to this call. I'm sure it's both a blessing and a curse because you're listening and you can't respond and you can't ask questions, so I feel your frustration. 
Um, but it's hard enough to have three of us trying to not talk on top of each other, and so I'm sure you understand the reason for our format. But I do want to commend you for listening, for taking the time, and um, I hope that you got something of benefit from it. And that was wonderful, Sandy. And just to close, first of all, that website that Sandy was referring to is myhealthydivorce.com. And as everyone said, both Stephanie, Sandy, and I are all appear there, so you can find any of us through there as well as through, um, Stephanie, my own sites. And in terms of feeling stuck and having read a number of the messages that came through when people were registering, I really want to underscore that quote that Sandy brought up, and there is a way through to the other side. It may feel completely stuck and entrenched right now. There is no way any move I make is going to be bad. And there is a way through to the other side. So we really encourage you to reach out. That is what our support is here for. As a divorce coach, I spend my time helping people to get unstuck and find their way to more positive places. And Stephanie and Sandy, we each do that in our own way. So the one thing you can do for yourself is to Take one step forward if you are feeling stuck and reach out for that support. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Divorce Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Sharon Pastore, or my partner, Chris Pastore, at MyHealthyDivorce.com. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters.